This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we can be glad for two reasons that you just preached to me in that song. I don't know if you took note. That's a beautiful song right there. And that pretty much sums up the sermon. There's two things that God is speaking to us in his word today that you sung about. Number one, Jesus is with you in your temptations when Satan tries to attack you. And number two, Jesus is with you when you fight temptation and you have to live out the consequence of that your trials, the crosses that you heard about that you sang about right there. My prayer is from God's Word that He opens up uh, the great goodness that God gives us so that we can do both of those things as we walk with Jesus in danger. Ever since the fall into sin, human beings have come up with new and creative ways to try to fight temptation and break bad habits. Has anybody in this room ever had a nail-biting problem before? Last service we had a couple. Yeah. Well, I, I learned after a little research this week that there's hope for you, that you can break that bad habit and you can stop the undesirable behavior. You just go to Walgreens or your local pharmacy, and right there you can buy a nail polish that's a non-toxic, uh, safe uh, nail polish that you can put on your nail so that every time you take a bite, you gag, and you gag so often, and so after, after a certain amount of time that you don't want to eat those nails no more. Behavior therapy, that's what that nail polish is meant to do. I've had friends who have quit smoking on a nicotine patch before. Very successful for some people, for many people actually, and after a while, the nicotine patch takes down the nicotine uh, week by week, month by month, until you don't desire that cigarette any longer. Behavior therapy. This is one of my favorites. It came on one of my favorite TV shows recently, Shark Tank. An entrepreneur came on and he pitched his idea that would stop any habit ever, whether it's nail biting, whether it's pulling your hair, whether it's too much Facebook, whatever it is. Um, this entrepreneur created a wristband that looks like a Fitbit and it's called Pavlock. Is it up on the screen? Okay, I'm not seeing the screen. I'm going to have to just go by faith today. And has anybody seen this before? Okay, good. This is exciting. Every time you have a a bad or undesirable uh, behavior, this wristband sends 50 to 450 volts of electricity through your arm. So you're sitting and you go on Facebook too long. Zap! You pull your hair. Zap! You light up the cigarette, zap, 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 until, and the, they have people that have done this and worn this for months and months, and they say, eventually, I don't even want to do it any longer because it's so uncomfortable. The funny thing is, is that um, I had to know, like, how do they know when you do all this stuff? Well, it kind of has a fault to it. You have to actually control the zaps by yourself <laughs> from an iPhone app, so I don't know with my self-control if I'd actually do that, but the other option they said is that you could give it the control of the zapper to your friend's iPhone app. So I give it to Chad. And Chad, every time he saw me lighting up a cigarette or biting my nails, zap, zap, zap. Or if just for fun, he wants to see me jump in the office, zap, zap. I know that's what I'd be using it for. Behavior therapy. It's successful. There's success stories. Now here's the question for us to wrestle with this morning. Will a Christian become a better Christian through behavior therapy. 
Let's do a mind experiment real quick. Let's say that this morning, um, happy Father's Day. Everybody gets a gift. You all are getting the Pavlock, okay? I'm not, not really. I'm not Oprah. Um, but just pretend like you're going out of the door and everybody in church today gets a Pavlock and pastor gets control. And somehow pastor knows, okay, this is where I'm suspending your imagination, uh, is that pastor somehow knows every time that you sin. So every time that you lust or every time that you uh, have greedy thoughts, or every time that you're proud and, you're, and you have pride in your life, zap, 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 until a year goes by, a year and a half goes by, and all of us as a whole congregation at Holy Word have become better people, and we don't fall into sin, and we don't fall into the temptations anymore because we've, been, we've gone through behavior therapy. Let me ask you this. Would we collectively as a congregation and you individually be a better Christian by the end of a year and a year and a half? Be careful. It's a trick question. The answer is no. Not necessarily. You see, God is not interested first and foremost with your behavior therapy. God is more interested in your heart therapy. There are people in the world that do more good and are more moral and do more good things than many, many Christians. But do you know that if their heart is far away from God and they don't believe in God and they don't believe in Jesus as their Savior, that they are far, far away from the faith. And do you know that there are many people in this world who are broken, who haven't modified their behavior to the way that they wish that they could, but their heart is broken about it and they're repentant about it and they're sorry about it and they wish that they didn't have it any longer and they want to do better and they rely completely on God's full and free and transforming grace to forgive them. And that that person that's in awe of this great God and an awareness of their own brokenness is much, much closer to God. This morning, in the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife, I think that we have this awesome picture of that person. And God, in your life of faith, has created the heart to fight temptation, not just the behavior, okay? Because Christianity is less about behavior therapy and it's more about heart therapy and heart modification. And you see that in the life of Joseph And God has created that in your life as well when he called you to faith through the waters of baptism and the word. Let's get into it. Uh, God wants us to battle temptation with his goodness. Here's the background to Joseph's story. It's on page 8 in the service folder, also up on the screens. This is the Joseph um, in the Old Testament who had the coat of many colors, who probably, not very wise, but he bragged to his older brothers about how great he was. Not a good move. His brothers threw him into a pit unbeknownst to his parents. They sell him to Egypt. And so, uh, and the brothers tell dad that he's died and he's been killed by a ferocious animal. Dad thinks he's dead. The brothers know what has happened. But Joseph, the youngest, he's in Egypt and he's serving as a slave in Egypt. Years and years go by. Joseph grows up into a young man and he's put in charge of a household because uh, Potiphar, the name of the man whose house that he works at, recognizes that he got a good deal from this slave trade, that this guy wasn't just a slave, that he was a leader. Joseph was a natural leader and he rises up in the household and becomes the leader of the whole household. In fact, Potiphar puts him in charge of everything um, except for his wife and except for Potiphar. Joseph is number one in this household. That's a pretty high position. Here's the story. 
Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. This is an incredible story for this reason. Joseph, a young man, maybe 18, maybe 20, early 20s, is seduced by probably a very beautiful woman. And if you think about his situation, he doesn't have anybody to hold him accountable. I mean, dad doesn't know he's even alive. His brothers have sold him off. He's out on his own. He's handsome. He's well-built. He's a young man with hormones raging. And here he has this invitation where he can make a good political move within the household and get in good with the wife. And at the same time, he can, he can have sex free and, and without any, unencumbered. And nobody, could, nobody may find out at all. And here the invitation comes in. And you might think to yourself, how in the world can he physically say no to this invitation? This is an awesome invitation for a young man, humanly speaking. And the answer is, how does he say no to this? It's not because he's wearing a pavlock and Potiphar is sending like 10,000 volts of electricity through his arm right now. That's not why he says no. It's not a behavior modification. It's not because that he's conditioned and he's, he, he's been in this household for so long that he knows how to deal with these situations and he's using his brain and he's, he's trying to think politically. No, it's none of those reasons. But did you catch it? Why he says no to this temptation? It's none of those reasons. It's not behavior modification, but there's something that's happened in his heart. And it's in verse 9. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? A believer's heart is more in awe of God than anything else in this world. It means this. Joseph knows how good God is to him. He knows that God blesses him. He knows that God has given everything for him. And he is so in awe of the goodness of God that he cannot imagine letting God down. In other words, his vertical worship in his heart is driving his horizontal decisions. What seductress is calling you right now? Um... Is it a text? Is it an email? Is it a, a beckoning from a screen from a person that's not your spouse to share yourself emotionally, inappropriately, sexually, physically? It's happening, folks. It's out there. It's in those moments that God is asking you, are you more in awe of my goodness and my grace than with the rags of this world? I'm willing to bet that most of us do not go through a Joseph experience, uh, 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 come to bed with me that explicitly. I know that I don't go through that week to week and month to month. Many of us don't have these big moments where we're invited and enticed into sin, but let me, let me, let me test this. Our character is not defined in those big moments. 
in these Joseph moments. They do come up once or twice in your lifetime maybe, but our character is actually defined in 10,000 tiny moments when seductresses pull us away and try to take our heart away from that vertical worship of God. That seductress, they come and go so quickly, like a flash. It's the anger that I have when somebody gets away with something after a crime they committed against me, and I hold that in my heart. It's the addiction to the little pleasures that are here today, gone tomorrow, but I held on to it. It's the flash of lust at the mall. It's the me-first attitude that I have. It's, and these are t- tens of thousands of them that happen every day. And you know what Jesus has to say about those little moments, which actually define us more than those big moments do? He says that even if you have thoughts, in one place he even says, if you look at somebody who is not your husband or your wife with a lustful thought, you've already rounded the bases. Yeah. And it's in those moments that God wants us to be crushed. <laughs> he does. Because guess what? where he wants our heart again? He wants us in a vertical relationship with him, which is what Christianity is all about. You know, people say Christianity is just all about people looking good and acting good and good do-gooders. They've gotten rid of most of the filth in their life. That's actually not what it's all about. But Christianity is about this. It's about how could I do such a great thing, a sin against my God because my God is so good. Jesus of Nazareth lived a life for you. And you know what, men? Today's Father's Day. It's a day we can talk about this. Jesus looked at women. He loved women. But he never looked at them lustfully. He always looked at them as a forgiven child of God who is created in God's image to be the perfect mate for a man. To complement him perfectly, to be his strength. And he looked at them and he loved them that way. Not as a sex toy, not as somebody that was subordinate to him, but he loved them. In fact, he put himself underneath them, just like a husband and a father puts himself beneath his wife and his family. And he did it perfectly. And he did it perfectly so that for all those times that you and I, now I'm talking to everybody, that all those times that we lived imperfectly, all those little flashes and moments of sin that we know that we have that condemn us, He lived a perfect life in our place and the Bible says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God so that when he died on the cross, he served you and me. He loved you and me so that we can stand in front of God and say, whoa, (laughs) God, you have given me everything and I stand in awe. How could I go back to that trough? How could I say yes to that seductress anymore? Because you are my God and you gave everything for me. I stand in awe of you and I can say no to temptation. And that truth that Jesus died on the cross is true for you today as you go through that temptation and as you think through those 10,000 little things and sins that pester you. You don't have to say yes to them and you won't. God is interested in behavior modification, but it starts with the heart and it starts with that worship of a God that gave everything for you. Okay? Now, when you live out that life, it's not going to be easy. We're going to learn from Joseph's story that it wasn't easy as well because there's going to be consequences for living a faith-filled life. And here are the consequences. Verse 11. One day, Joseph went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. 
Potiphar's wife caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. The next couple of verses aren't included in this text to save space, but basically she keeps the cloak. She tells some servants about it. Verse 16, Potiphar's wife kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you, you bought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So this is what happens. Potiphar's wife grabs him this time. She takes him by the cloak and holds on to the cloak. He, because he has such a conviction and awe of God, runs away from the situation. Um, this is a tough space for Joseph to be in. It's a catch-22. He's a lose-lose situation. Either he goes to bed with her and risks being caught, and if he's caught, what do you think is going to happen to the slave? That's it, right? If he doesn't sleep with her, which ends up what he does do, he doesn't sleep with her, he risks biting the hand that feeds him. Potiphar's wife loves control. Have you caught that? First of all, she wants this Hebrew slave to go to bed with her. But when he doesn't want to go along with her, and this happens day after day after day, she still wants to control him. And so how is she going to control him? She's going to control him by telling stories about him so that he goes to prison. <laughs> it's the same thing. She's trying to control the situation. When you live out your faith and you do it with awe of God and his great forgiveness, it could happen in your life that temptation will come and you will have to pay the consequences. There can be people in our lives that try to control us. They can try to change our resolve. But look at Joseph and, and look at what God has done in his life. His goodness remains with Joseph. And Joseph doesn't fear saying no because he knows that if he is even put in jail that God's goodness will remain with him. So number one, a faithful life is no guarantee of freedom from temptation. Um, Joseph was going about his business, it says. It says in verse 11, he was just going about his daily duties. Um, that gets us to think, you can go about your daily duties too. Be a faithful father, be a faithful mother, be a faithful son, daughter, single person, and neighbor. Temptation will and can find you. And my friends, it will. In fact, First Peter 5 says that the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking to devour you. But remember who's with you? Your God. The Lord remains with you and his goodness remains with you to say no. Number two, a faithful life is no guarantee of fairness. In Matthew 24, 9, Jesus says that in the end times, when you speak the truth and you live the truth and you do what he's asked you to do in this earth, that people are going to ignore you, they're going to put you in jail, and you're going to be killed for it. Joseph was put in prison for living out his faith. You can expect to find persecution in your life. Jesus talks about it as carrying your cross. Because you have his cross in your life, you too will carry a cross. Joseph's carrying a cross in his life, and we will too. It's a promise, but it's a promise that, that God's forgiveness is still with us. It's not fair that Joseph never had a trial. It's not fair that Joseph never even got to speak from this account that we know of to Potiphar. It's just the wife that talks to Potiphar. And all of a sudden, Joseph gets thrown into jail. But look at these last verses. I'm going to say, um, I'm going to say these, this phrase twice because it's in the text. Look at verse 21 before we, we get to reading it all. And when I come to the words, the Lord was with him, in verse 21, 
And the same in 23, the Lord was with Joseph. You say those with me, okay? But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those uh, held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. You can be tempted. You will be tempted. You can be put in a prison for your faith. You will be put into the prison for the faith. But what do those two phrases that you repeated with me have to say about those times? The Lord remains with you. And his goodness remained with Joseph. Never departed from him. Through temptation and injustice, God remains with you. So maybe you're being tempted, maybe you're suffering injustice, and maybe you're jailed innocently, either emotionally or physically, for your faith. Maybe your family has quarantined you because you live out this Christian faith. And that's fine, but remember that the Lord is always with you, and he's not going to remove his goodness from you. He never will. That's his promise. In fact, in jail... Joseph becomes the leader in jail, just like he did in the household. And the jailer said, look, this guy is so responsible and God is with him and it's obvious that I'm going to put him in charge of everybody. So now Joseph is almost running the jail. And you know what happens after that? Joseph almost runs the entire land of Egypt. Joseph's story, it reminds me of Psalm 1. And fathers, this week, I want you to pray through this psalm asking God to guide your fatherhood. Mothers, I want you to pray for the fathers. Single people, married and previously married, I want you to pray this psalm for all the fathers in the world today. I want them to have the heart of a Joseph. I want all of us to have the heart of a Joseph. Do you see a picture of a tree by water right now? Okay. This psalm reminds me of Joseph and the story because you heard that whatever he did prospered, even when it seemed like it was wrong to the world, even when it was counterintuitive to his career. And the psalm goes like this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but whose delight is in the law or the word of the Lord and who meditates on God's law day and night. That one is like a tree planted by streams of water. Whatever they do, flourish. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the seat of the righteous. Because the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Do you see Joseph in that picture? He's the tree. <laughs> and this picture is a nice scene, but there's going to be winds. There's going to be floods. There's going to be people trying to rip his branches down, but he's planted firmly by the word of God and in the word of God. And that's why I'm asking you as a family and as individuals to be in God's word at worship, in your connect groups, and in private devotion. When you take this psalm this week, pray through it, asking God to be with the fathers and with every individual because all of us are going through temptation. All of us are going through a prison of this world. But all of us have found God's goodness, and that's never going to be removed from us. You have God's word. Amen.